Welcome to this episode of Mystics and Skeptics. Now here's your host, Sybil. Hello, fellow humans. Welcome to Mystics and Skeptics. I hope you and yours are well, wherever you are. Today we have guest Calvin Smith. Calvin Smith is a musician, atheist activist, and he is the host of Unquestionable with Calvin Smith. Calvin, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah. So I came across um, uh, your profile, your podcast, Calvin, and it really sparked my interest. And that's why I reached out to you to do this interview, because I want to get to know you a little bit. I'd like us to talk about you, if you don't mind, in terms of you know, could you tell us uh, your story uh, in terms of your belief system where you, when you were growing up and where you, where you are today? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So all in all, I'm, I'm a musician. I do write my own music and I actually have an original song out called Empty Room that's been out uh, just over a year now on Spotify and everything. So everyone can go check that out. I have more music on the way too. Um, so that's, you know, I, I love, I've always been a musician at heart. So, you know, I always got to plug my music. It's, it's a half too. Um, and uh, besides that, so uh, in short, a couple of years ago, I was primarily raised to be Christian, but my, my family wasn't super enforcing it. They more so were, you know, subtly Christian, you know, we prayed at, you know, dinners and stuff every once in a while. And I went to church till I was about six or seven. And, um, you know, but it wasn't like really, really strictly enforced. So I more so was kind of like agnostic ish kind of growing up. But if someone asked me, I would call myself a Christian. If someone would have just asked me out of the blue, um, it's, you know, that was kind of always in the back of my brain, whether there was a God or not. And basically I fell down a conspiracy theory hole. Um, you know, me and my family growing up, were always into, um, you know, my family is a lot of Native Americans. We have a lot of Native American, um, you know, superstitions and stuff, you know, that go through my family and that kind of rubbed off on me. And so I believed really any and every conspiracy you could think of, you know, Hillary Clinton being a reptile, believed it, you know, Justin, Justin Bieber, probably a reptile. Yep. Probably earth maybe is flat. Probably there's good evidence for it. At least I thought so at the time. And, you know, just literally every conspiracy believed in. And eventually one day I said, I'm going to, you know, I'm not sure where I stand on my religious belief. I want to get to the bottom of this. I want to read the Bible, see what's going on, because I was kind of watching a lot of atheist programs on YouTube and stuff and a lot of, um, you know, just kind of in that realm at the time. So I was like, I want to figure out what I believe. Got a Bible. Um, King James version. And I read it from cover to cover. And by the end of it, I considered myself an atheist um, before I even, even finished it. Um, let, not only did I um, not only like the things that the God of the Bible was saying and condoning and doing, um, regardless whether he existed or not, I just didn't see a reason to believe in the Bible um, simply based off of these words, you know, not to mention, we don't know who wrote it. And a lot of other, you know, just things that were not connecting for me. So I, I left the faith and uh, essentially, even though I never was a serious believer, but um, definitely put that all past me now. And um, now I just like to study theology. I like to know what people believe, why they believe it. Um, I've studied um, straight epistemology and I practice that every now and then. And that's basically a Socratic method of 
questioning and getting to the basis of what people believe, why they believe it. And I try to use that on my podcast as much as I can. Um, but the thing is with street epistemology, sometimes it can come off, it can come off a little standoffish and a little um, aggressive sometimes if you don't understand what it what you know you're you're being talked, you know, questioned on basically the method that is being used on you. Um, so, so you gotta be kind of picky and choosy if you're just using it in casual conversations, but basically I want to break that stigma of being able to question what you believe without being so aggressive about it. You know, I want you to be able to talk about what you believe and why you believe it and be able to defend it. If you truly believe it, where's the evidence for it? So I have people on my show of all shapes and sizes who, um, you know, I had a flat earther on, we talked about why she believes in the flat earth. Um, I had someone who believes, um, his name is Neil Waters and he believes that, the thylacine, the Tasmanian tiger is not actually extinct and it's actually running around Australia. Um, I talked to a doctor who worked on the Mars rover and he believes that there's faces and structures on the face of Mars. So I talked to him about why he believes that, you know, um, all these different belief systems. I want to know why people believe it. And then ancient history. I love ancient history. I love learning about where we came from and where we're going and how we got to where we are, the technology that we use and the technology that was supposedly used to create a lot of the, you know, amazing structures that we know of today, you know, i.e. the Great Pyramids, the Sphinx, um, Puma Punku, all these really interesting sites and um, getting to the bottom of how these sites were constructed, whether it be by natural causes or extraterrestrial. But so far, I have no reason to believe it was anything extraterrestrial, but I'm always got to stay open to the evidence. But uh, that's, that's basically me. In a nutshell. <laughs> I think it's admirable to have an inquiring mind, right? That's what differentiates us uh, being human. Right. From being animals, right? It's just inquiring exactly. Yeah. Inquiring. And some people, I think you touched upon it a little bit is, you know, when people are asked about whatever their belief systems, religions, especially they tend to get very sensitive, right? You know, and they get very offended. And that's not very helpful. If you're trying to have a discourse and trying to make other people understand, they don't have to agree, right? But right, right, at least have a dialogue, you know, so exactly, there's an understanding of what um, it's about respect. That's what it comes down to. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if you're on my show, I'm not going to, you know, call you stupid for what you believe or anything like that. I simply, you know, would want you to come on. If you believe something, show me why you believe it. Essentially convince me, you know, because I consider myself mostly a skeptic. So, you know, convince me of what you believe. I don't believe in Bigfoot. Bring your evidence of Bigfoot. Let's talk about it. How strong is that? How, how um, held are you to that belief? Um, and do you have sufficient evidence for that belief? And yeah, but I mean, not to men, not to say I don't like, you know, a good, uh, a good debate, I guess, but you know, cause you know, I never can turn down a debate when it comes to, you know, religion and it's specifically religion. You know, I, it's, it's just in my, I'm, I like to debate once in a while. So, you know, you'll, you'll catch my, my, uh, TikToks and Facebook, um, you know, posts that are a little, you know, punch in the jar or whatever, but, um, you know, it's, it's all in good fun. You know, it's sometimes, I, you know, I want to get to the bottom of what people believe and why they believe it. And if you believe that, you know, Jesus walked on water, I definitely want to know that Jesus walked on water. So can you prove that? Um, uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's it.
Before we uh, start talking about ancient technology theories, I wanted to go back to what you said earlier about um, religion. You know, you said you grew up, you know, with a little bit of religion in your life. What about the Bible did you not connect with? Well, sure, sure. Yeah. So, well, I mean, first of all, the scientific accuracy from the very first chapter in the book, it tells you that there was um, uh, an earth before there was light. And that just isn't the case. That's literally within the, you know, Genesis one, one, there was earth, you know, before light. So that just isn't scientifically accurate. So literally right from the very first verse, the first page of the Bible, I was skeptical from, cause I knew that I said, that's, that's not right. Then the next verse says there were um, plants before there was a sun and moon, but that makes no sense because plants need photosynthesis. So there has to be a sun. So we're already a couple verses in and there's no scientific accuracy. And then it tells you that, you know, uh, God created Adam from the earth and then he made Eve from his rib cage. Well, that's not how humans are made. You know, we know that from, you know, hard scientific evidence, you know, that that is not how humans are made. And we have yet to be able to make humans like that. So why would we believe that um, just because the book is saying it, you know? Um, we even today are still debating on whether Jesus Christ was a real figure or not. I'm myself still not a hundred percent sure whether I believe he was real or not. I really haven't done as much research on it, but it's coming. I'm going to, I'm going to do it, but <laughs> in time. And I, I, I just wasn't, there was so scientific accuracy, very little of it. A lot of the figures in the Bible weren't, didn't turn out to be real. Um, or have very little evidence of them being real. Some events in the Bible, like the Tower of Babel, that's proven to never be an existing thing. There was never a global flood. Whether there was a giant flood that the Noah's Ark story is talking about, that's a different story. But was it a global flood? No. And was the story of Noah's Ark true? No. Was there a flood, a big flood? 100%. Definitely was a big flood, and that's exactly what the Noah's flood story and the Epic of Gilgamesh are talking about. But um, that's ancient technology talk there in the future. But <laughs> I, um, yeah, exactly. So I mean, it's like there's little things in the Bible that you know they got right, you know. But th there's a lot of claims that are made in the Bible that are just claims being made. Um, there's there's no evidence of anyone ever coming back to life after being dead for three days. Um, when supposedly there was 500 people that supposedly saw this resurrection, um, but yet the only account of it is in the Bible. D wouldn't you think that one of these 500 people would have written, you know, or all of them would have written something down about it? But so it's just a lot of skepticism going through the Bible. Nothing was really connecting with me. The stories seemed improbable. Um, and I just saw no reason to believe the words in the Bible were the words of an all-knowing, all-powerful God when he seemed to get a lot of stuff incorrect. So you say uh, you're a skeptic. So is there room for you to change your mind? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 100%. No, I can, I can never close myself off to that evidence. That's why I, I kind of dropped the term, but I mean, you could call me an agnostic atheist. 
I don't know for sure whether there is a God, but I'm open to evidence. Convince me. And I don't know what it would take to convince me, but God sure would. So, and he hasn't done it yet. Um, and if he has, he definitely hasn't made it clear enough. Uh, and I've, I thought God was not the author of confusion. I mean, he wrote that in his own book, apparently, but I'm still pretty confused. So, <laughs> yeah, so I'm definitely open to it, but uh, I'm not sure what it even would take to convince me. One of the topics you've explored is the supernatural and paranormal. Can you share what you've learned from your discussions? Yeah, hundred percent. So it's, it's, I see, I get caught up on the subject because it's difficult to, to put into words. I don't, in short, I don't believe in ghosts. There, there isn't enough evidence for myself at this moment to believe in ghosts or Bigfoot or the Loch Ness monster or aliens. Um, but you know, once again, I'm open to it as far as like the supernatural goes, it's hard. Basically supernatural is the term that people put on things that they're not able to explain. Um, IE, you know, deja vu or just a, a coincidence of some sort, they'll put this label on something. And my thing is, is that for example, if you were to, if you were raised your entire life to believe in ghosts, and one day you supposedly see a apparition in your house, you would look at that, say, that is a ghost. There it is. That's a ghost. That's physical evidence of a ghost. But with me, what if I grew up without ever knowing about ghosts? What if I grew up under the conception that apparitions were actually leprechauns and they actually were dropping off their little trails of gold to lead you to the rainbow? What if that is what I was raised to believe? Well, then if I saw the apparition, that is what I would attribute it to. So ghosts are, the supernatural is literally whatever you can't explain and what your personal experiences you have been brought up to believe you, you apply it to the unexplained and you're essentially putting a label on something that you shouldn't put a label on. It's, and that's the whole thing about my show is that it's okay to say that you don't know, you don't need to call it a ghost. You can say you don't know because all in all, you you just don't. No matter how much you want to call that a ghost, you cannot prove that that's a ghost, at least at this moment. So why are we calling it supernatural when we don't know how to test the supernatural? We don't really know how to even define supernatural or paranormal. So, you know, it's it's hard to test something when you're not even sure how to define it yet. Calvin, so you've spoken to a lot of experts about, you know, these structures like the pyramids, Machu Picchu, what have you. Um, can you share what you've learned and also how it re- how they relate to ancient technology theories? Yeah, for sure. Um, so from my understanding, I think that there is sufficient evidence that the origins of us humans and the way we conduct our daily lives and civilization that dates back further than the common consensus claims to be. So the common consensus is that, you know, obviously us humans, um, homo sapiens, sapiens have been around 
for around 300,000 years. Um, it wasn't according to the, you know, consensus until about six to 7,000 years ago, about 6,500 years ago, um, that we started to civilize and basically learn how to build infrastructure, how to cultivate crops and domesticate animals. It was about 6,500 to 7,000 years ago. And um, obviously in like Mesopotamia and um, uh, Egypt, you know, obviously all these civilizations here. Um, but the thing is, is that when these all, almost all of these ancient civilizations from Egypt to Peru to America, they all have a flood story. All of them, every single one has a flood story. And they talk about everything from flaming serpents um, coming out of the sky, the cosmic serpent. Um, they talk about um, raining fire and there's myths of gods having battles in the sky and flames and, and brimstone falling to the earth and destroying the earth over the gods battling. This is found everywhere on the planet. And almost all of them date it thousands of years before the time that it's being depicted. So basically about 12,600 years ago ish to um, 11,600 years ago, there was a mini ice age and this essentially froze over most of the earth. And then there was a sudden uh, warming up of, of the planet. And this is called the younger Dryas epoch. And this happened from 12,800 years ago to, or 12,600 years ago to 11,800 years ago. And it caused massive flooding throughout the earth. And it's what we believe the, uh, you know, Epic of Gilgamesh and Noah's Ark story. That's where we believe they get these flood stories from is from an actual flood happening that they believed would have been global. I mean, when you think about the scales of the, the waves that these ice caps melting suddenly would have made, it's, it's something you can't even imagine. Um, you can't even look up high enough with your head to see the top of these waves that would be crashing down on you. I mean, this is the devastation that this flooding made. And it 100% happened. There's no denying it happened. The research is there. The proof is there. Um, now, according to academia, this all happened before human civilization. It was towards the end of this that human civilization started to kind of cultivate more. And this is where you see civilizations like Gobekli Tepe coming up around 11,800 years ago, right at the time of the Younger Dryas ending. And essentially, the argument of me and many others like Johanna James, who I've had on my show, and Brian Forrester, Graham Hancock, who's a very big name right now, um, Randall Carlson, our argument is that there was a civilization that we may have called Atlantis, essentially, um, survived at some point before the Younger Dryas, was able to cultivate and create a civilization and they had some sort of advanced technology, not alien technology. This is the big misconception, not alien technology. They just had something still primitive, something we may have today, but they had something and we're on the search for what tools they were using to build these structures because nobody knows all they claim to know, but then they can't prove it. They can't put it on paper. 
Um, so we have no idea how the pyramids are made. We have no idea. We have no idea how Pumapunku came to be. We have no idea how they built Gobekli Tepe. We have absolutely no idea. We only have assumptions based off of the, the depictions of the ancient people. And the ancient people all claim that this technology and the tools to build their civilization were handed down to them from the gods. And they all seem to be carrying staffs or, you know, bags or anks. Uh, and they're, this is how they were building these structures was with these objects that these gods have. And our argument is that the gods that they were talking about were just the ancient people who survived the Younger Dryas epoch. And they handed down this information to the Egyptians. And eventually they, you know, picked and prodded at it, possibly lost it in the process and degraded their construction styles. Because it's interesting, you see towards the very beginning of the Egyptians cultivating, they have some extremely intricate and precise carvings and structures but as it you know time goes on it's actually getting degraded and worse when it should be the other way around almost as if they lost the technology so that's the argument is that there's a lost technology we're not sure what it is but it's something primitive not alien and is still human and we're looking for it and we're all and we're looking for the civilization that had this technology that we would probably call Atlantis today. It's interesting, Gosh. Um, you know, and what strikes me is the commonality in some of these structures around the world, right? And, and I'm sure, which, um, you know, if there was a human civilization that shared this knowledge, you know, that they were clearly seafaring, right? Do you have a theory of where Atlantis would have been located in the world? So, yeah, so there's a couple different theories. Um, the first one that really caught my eye was the story of the uh, Rishat structure in Mauritania, Africa. And it's typically called the Eye of Africa or the Eye of the Sahara. And you can actually look this up on Google Maps if you just type in Eye of the Sahara, it goes, you know, pings you right to it. And I mean, it looks like an eyeball from space. And we actually didn't even know that this structure existed until the ISS flew over it and was like, whoa, look at that thing. And uh, then, you know, we sent pictures of it and we went and checked it out. And the Rishat structure is, according to Plato, um, and that's the thing is that Plato, I guess I should probably start right from the beginning, because with Plato, everyone thinks that the story of Atlantis comes from Plato. And that's the big misconception is that Plato didn't come up with the story off the top of his head. It actually was handed down to him from his great, 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 great grandfather, Solon. Solon was an, a lawmaker in Athens, and he made an exile trip to Egypt because he wanted to know how to be a better politician, better lawmaker. So he was like, Egypt's got a pretty good idea going on. So he goes to Egypt. On his way there, he hears of a story of a priest who has, you know, a story of an ancient lost civilization. He was like, ooh, that sounds cool. He goes and meets this guy named Sanchez of Sais in the temple of Sais, which is now destroyed. There's no more... Um, and there's nothing left of it, unfortunately. It's all ruins. Um, and I don't think you can access even the ruins today. There's only like paintings of it. And basically, Sanchez of Sais told Solon of a story of an ancient lost civilization that lived 9,000 years before that time. And 
they were advanced. They had, um, you know, golden chariots, all of them rode and they rode on elephants and fresh water plumed from the middle of this um, concentric ringed city that, um, you know, thrived and was beautiful and amazing and made out of gold and red and white stones. And um, it was, it was awesome story. So Solon was like, okay, cool. I'm going to, I'm, you know, that I'm going to take that back. So he took it back to Greece. He handed it down um, through his lineage until it landed in Plato's lap and Plato decided to write this down. And he even prefaces at the beginning of the story. This is a true story handed down through the generations. And so that's the thing is that the story of Atlantis actually comes from Egypt. It doesn't come from Greece. Like a lot of people think it comes from Egypt. This guy, Sanchez Sayas, he's the first guy to have known about the story. We're not sure where it came from, from before him. Um, there's very, very little depictions of Sanchez Sayas and very little talk of him, obviously because the temple's not there anymore. And yeah, so Plato wrote this down, wrote everything down. And if, if you think about it, if it was 9,000 years before that time, you add that in from when Solon lived to now, you add that with 9,000 years, that comes out to 12,600 years, right at the beginning of the Younger Dryas, when there was sudden melting of ice sheets and sudden flooding, which sank Atlantis in a single day and night of misfortune. It, it starts to line up at once when because Sanchez gave that specific date of 9,000 years before that time. And it's very interesting that it lines up literally perfectly with the Younger Dryas Epoch. Um, and yeah, the argument is that I think is the best for it is the Rashat structure in Mauritania, Africa. Because if you look at it from above, from the ISS pictures, it has three to four concentric rings that look of land, and it has salt deposits in it. But it's in the middle of Africa. And it has salt deposits. So that means that there had to have been seawater there at some point. And um, not to mention there's gold, red, and black stones that are found there. Just like Plato says, there's elephant bones that are found in the structure, which weren't native to the area at the time of its supposed um, construction, because the consensus is that it was built by volcanic activity. But that doesn't explain the salt deposits. So that kind of throws me off. Um, so that's as far as the Rashad structure. There's um, a guy named Randall Carlson. He's a very well-known geologist, and he's been on the Joe Rogan podcast a bunch. He, um, I'm trying to get him on my podcast, but he won't answer my emails. Email me back, Randall. But um, <laughs> And uh, he thinks that the Azores Islands off the coast of, um, oh, geez, I think it's Portugal. I could be wrong about that. But um, the Azores Islands, he thinks that... Um, that that's the, the remnants of the civilization of Atlantis is everything, you know, all the underwater um, areas of that. Now um, there is a structure off the coast of Okinawa, Japan called the Yonaguni monument, which I just did an episode on that. And that's essentially an underwater step pyramid that was discovered in the 1980s and um, common consensus. Academia is stating that this is a natural structure. No humans had anything to do with this, but yet there's, a moat, columns, engravings, steps, a sacrificial, uh, you know, ritual um, platform. There's, you know, handmade columns, artifacts, hieroglyphs, but no, it's all, none of it is man-made. It's all completely natural. That just sounds like bull crap to me. 
it, it, it sounds like you're just not wanting to look at it anymore, but it's literally, it's 16 feet underwater and it's right off of the coast of Japan. So who's to say that this couldn't have been made before it was sunk by an earthquake in the past couple thousand years. Um, so that's, you know, there's a guy who thinks that that's the remnants of Atlantis is right there or a place called uh, Lemuria, which is basically the, you know, that the west or east side um, Atlantis, basically the Pacific Ocean's Atlantis. And um, yeah, there's been a couple theories of it being like in Antarctica and under the ice sheet in Antarctica and um, in Siberia. So, I mean, there's a lot of theories as to where Atlantis could have been, but my, I kind of think that Atlantis was more so a spanned civilization, like you said, a, a seafaring civilization. So I, you know, I believe and people like Johanna James, who's on my podcast, we believe that um, Atlantis was more than one city, you know, maybe the Rashat structure was the main one. And, you know, maybe the Azores islands was you know, what's the other part of Atlantis? Maybe they didn't know anything of each other at all and they were completely disconnected, but they both lived at that time. Who knows? But I mean, the main thing is that nobody is looking for this evidence because academia is shoving down our throats that we started six to 7,000 years ago. I'm not looking at this 10,000 year old structure for human remains and stuff because that's not when we lived no, drop that, you know, knowing so much, be more open-minded because a lot of these people get, they get laughed out of, you know, auditoriums and they lose their grants and jobs and houses because they're just giving a different idea than what a textbook says. And, uh, it's just not right. You know? No, and I, I'm not an anthropologist by any stretch, but, you know, I wonder, you know, when did the homo sapien, you know, when did we break off from the Cro-Magnon and from, that's a whole nother road we can go down. Oh, geez. I don't know. That's a big discussion. <laughs> you know, you talked about uh, stories around the world from ancient, you know, from the ancient world of common stories, not only the structures, right? Common structures, but common stories of a flood and of uh, deities, right? Superpowers, fighting battles, yada, yada. You know, have you, uh, what are your thoughts on the book of Enoch? Yeah, you know. I, I personally, you know, to me, it's another thing that says, you know, as words in a book, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of claims being made, um, you know, little evidence to, to follow, um, which I mean, not to say that they're, you know, we make a lot of claims with ancient lost technology is a thing. And, but, you know, I know you shouldn't start with the, with the, the conclusion and find the evidence to fit the conclusion. I've, taught that you can't, you know, I've been taught that you can't start with the conclusion, but with the conclusion, when we have the final product, you, you can see that these rocks were cut like butter and there's no, you know, with these bronze chisels and copper hammers, these can't be, it just cannot be done. And we, we've tried to do it. Yeah. I don't think we can build those structures today to be frank with you. Exactly. Exactly. When you think of the pyramid being 2.3 million blocks and they came, every block came from 500 miles down the Nile river, still standing, you know, 5,000 years later, it just is crazy. Um, but like with the book of Enoch, there's not, it's, it, you know, it's just a, a, a religious text basically. And I did have a guy on, his name is um, Larry Paul. 
and he's the director of the American Institute of Pyramid Research. And um, he's, he's an actual Egyptologist and archaeologist, and he actually, um, he wrote a book called um, Enoch. And it basically is reworking the Orion correlation theory, which basically is that the, the pyramids in Giza, along with the Sphinx, actually line up to the degree with the Orion constellation. It's a perfect match. But Larry Paul is working to connect not only those pyramids, but literally every single pyramid in Egypt. He's working and connecting all of those pyramids together to, you know, the Orion constellation. That something with the Orion constellation has something to do with the book of Enoch, basically. He's, he's, his argument is basically that the pyramids were a essentially a teleportation device that he doesn't know how, you know, he's finding the evidence to fit this, but he, he basically Enoch um, ascended to heaven using the pyramids and the Orion correlation theory. And um, that's basically been Larry Paul's work. His whole life's work is connecting the story and the book of Enoch to the pyramids. Um, but, you know, my thing is that, you know, he hasn't found anything besides a lot of a lot of math that that could really explain and math just can't explain God, you know? Um, and uh, it, he has found some very interesting stuff though. He was a really, he was almost too smart to talk to me. Um, I felt like way out of my league when he was talking to me, I'm like, geez, you're so smart. It's crazy. Um, but he, uh, yeah, he actually found a, um, an alpha omega symbol in the pyramid he was actually in a restricted part of the pyramid because he goes there all the time and uh, he actually found that deep inside the pyramid a alpha omega symbol that was actually carved on the pyramid he took a picture of it and he actually showed it to me on my podcast he, he showed me the picture of it and um he showed me the video of him there and then he looks over and there's like a like the exit that's all blocked off and everything and um he said he found it he discovered that in there but this is before when they were supposed to have known about, you know, any of these Greek symbols and everything. So how did it make it in there? So he, he's working on fitting together the, the narrative, but um, I, I personally don't, don't see any um, current sufficient evidence that the book of Enoch is true or that the pyramids are portals or anything. There's something weird with the pyramids. I don't know if they're portals though. <laughs> What are your thoughts on uh, UFOs or the, what are they called these days? UAPs? Yeah, they're called UAPs. What is that? Um, UAPs. Yeah. Unidentified aerial phenomena. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I think you've spoken to some folks about that. And what's your take? I have. Yeah. So once again, I used to be that guy who watched a YouTube video of a UFO and I said, that's an alien. But right there, right there, I needed to stop and reevaluate because I'm watching a video of a UFO, an unidentified flying object, and I am concluding and identifying it as a flying object. So therefore, or, or that I'm identifying it as something. So it's not 
unidentified anymore. It is therefore extraterrestrial, but I have no evidence to call it extraterrestrial because of just watching it. You know, what if it was some sort of secret government program? We have plenty of those. That doesn't mean that it's extraterrestrial. It means that we just have a secret government program. And I fully accept that we have those. And it's very probable that, you know, that's what these UFOs are, is that it's some country has some sort of technology that they're hiding. It's nothing new. It's nothing crazy. They do this all the time. We've done it all history, all through history. So it's, I've, it's a human technology that we're using. I feel like it's nothing that, you know, cause would be cause for something supernatural or paranormal or extraterrestrial. We have, you know, the best evidence that we have of aliens is literally the photographs and videos. That is literally the best evidence that we have. So, I, and that's, that's just not sufficient evidence to me. You know, what if I showed you a photo of a unicorn and I said, this is a real photograph of a unicorn. I mean, you're not just going to believe, yep, that's a unicorn. You're going to say, no, that's a horse wearing a horn. No, you're not going to immediately identify it as supernatural and that's exactly where i'm coming from is that you can't just look at a ufo and say yep that's alien no you have to keep it unidentified flying object i fully accept it's unidentified let's keep it that way because you can't identify it um so aliens as of right now i have no reason to believe that aliens are here interacting with us care that we're here um I think we have a lot bigger things to worry about than, you know, there possibly being life on another planet. I think we should probably learn more about our own planet and, you know, fix our planet before we go, you know, on the search for another one or searching for life on other planets. I mean, we don't even know anything about our own oceans. I feel like we should know a lot more about our oceans than, you know, we do. We know we currently know more about our own um, local solar system than we know about our oceans. So no, that's a good point. That's yeah, that's an excellent point. You're right. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of a lot of mysteries to solve, you know, if we go deep in the oceans. Calvin, I think you had a speaker um on one of your podcasts that claims um there might have been a civilization or something on Mars. Can you tell me what his beliefs are, what the thoughts are on that? Yeah, so his name was um, Dr. Mark Carlotta, and uh, he's a super smart guy, and he's been on um, a lot of pretty big uh, history programs, and ever since he he initially worked with NASA, and he was actually an electrical engineer for NASA, and uh, I believe he actually helped put rovers on the moon, or uh, on on Mars, and uh, very smart guy, and he believes that he discovered a face like structure on Mars. And um, basically I wanted to talk to him about this. I was like, okay, if you think that there's a face on Mars that was purposely put there, you are perfect for my show. Got his information, hunted him down, begged him to come on my show. And he (laughs) came on and I noticed after talking to him that he wasn't as sure about his belief as he made he made it out to be surprisingly. Um, he said, you know, this thing that I discovered on Mars back in the eighties, I think it could be a face, you know, it could be a purposely built 
facial structure. But then you think about it, you know, when the it's only when the light hits it just right, the sun has to hit it just right for this face to look the way it does. But if you look at it, they've done 3D rend renditions of it and looked at it from ground level using 3D uh, renditions. And it it's just a, a little hill, you know, it's nothing like crazy. There's no door in it or something. There's no... Uh, remnants of of it being carved into a face or anything lying around it's just a little hillside and so he kind of has stepped back from that a little bit more than he used to think i mean he still kind of thinks that it's possible that there used to be a civilization on mars and that they possibly built that facial structure and it's you know been hundreds thousands millions of years since that civilization was there so it is what it is now um, he still holds on to that. And I mean, yeah, that is still a possibility. Even, you know, well-known scientists will test that it's possible Mars could have been livable millions of years ago. Um, still, still doing research on that though. So still not a hundred percent. Um, and yeah, he, he more so nowadays is arguing for Atlantis. You know, he talks about Atlantis a lot and he actually just came out with a book called Before Atlantis that he spent like the last 20 years writing this book and, you know, researching different sites and different possibilities for Atlantis and what civilization could have been before, um, you know, essentially the Younger Dryas happened. Um, but I mean, cause that's the thing is that the Younger Dryas, a lot of people think that, um, there's a couple different theories as to what could have even caused it. You know, some people think it could have been solar flares that caused it. And that's why you get like the melting of statues around Peru and Egypt where, where there's little statues and staircases that are melted. Um, or, you know, a lot of people think it could have been a meteor striking that caused the flooding or a giant earthquake or all of the above. But um, yeah, I mean, so that's, that's more so what Mark Carlotto is working on nowadays is, he's kind of on the train of hunting for Atlantis and hunting for that lost civilization. But yeah, as far as like the Mars stuff, he kind of has stepped back from it a little bit since the eighties when he first, uh, you know, discovered it, which was interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's about um, just evolving your thoughts and beliefs. Right. And uh, I think that's what you do. And, you know, I just, uh, very impressed by your podcast and just asking those tough questions, exploring those unique issues, right. That people, you know, sometimes might not subscribe to, but just exploring them. Cause I think that's the only way we can, um, progress. It's what I love to do. I, I love knowing why people believe things. I'm just a curious person. Once again, I'm not a scientist. I don't have my degree in anything. I barely finished high school. No, I'm kidding. I, I graduated with 4.0. Okay, okay, okay. Graduated 4.0. Whoa. Okay, whoa. You know, that was, you know, that wasn't 10 years ago or anything. But um, you know, it so I'm not an expert by any means. This is the stuff that I cover on my podcast is stuff that anybody can learn. And that's what I'm telling you is that you need to just not believe what you're being told and what's being shoved down your throat your whole life. Go out and do your own research. That's basically what my show is about is opening your mind, do your own research decide for yourself. Well, thank you, Calvin, for being on the show. Can you tell listeners where they can find your podcast and also where they can listen to your music? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, you can find my podcast on all streaming platforms. It's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Anchor, 
literally everywhere. Um, it's on YouTube too. I don't post every episode to YouTube, but I try to post as many as I can over there. Like my interviews are all over there, but some of my one, you know, solo episodes that I've done are only on streaming platforms, um, working on converting those over. Uh, yeah, you can find me, uh, Facebook, Instagram, I'm Instagram, unquestionable podcast. You can find me on TikTok where I post a bunch of ancient technology stuff and, um, religion stuff how to use street epistemology and when to use it, um, you know, how to question your own belief, how to question other people's beliefs. You can follow me. Um, uh, yeah. On, on TikTok, it's at unquestionable Calvin. I'm on Twitter at UWCS podcast. You can literally type in unquestionable with Calvin Smith on Google and find my entire life there. I'm, I'm on pretty much every platform and my music too. You can find that on of course, any music platform, my song Empty Room is available on Spotify and Apple Music and everywhere else, too. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks for being on the show, Calvin. Thank you. I really appreciate your time. Everyone, that was Calvin Smith. And for our listeners, thank you for listening to Mystics and Skeptics. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the show on Amazon Music, Spotify, Patreon, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for tuning in and stay in peace, everyone.